Broken trust can be healed, but it's not just time that's going to heal it. You need clear guidance about what to do and what not to do. I'm Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist, and I've developed a free video course called The First Steps to Rebuilding Trust. This course will show you what's needed to begin healing after betrayal. I offer guidance for the betrayed partner as well as the partner who broke the trust. You can access it for free right now by clicking the link in the show notes. In the previous episode of the Illuminate podcast, I introduced you to Michelle Linford. She is the founder of LDS Hope and Healing. And we had a great interview, and I'm going to continue that interview in today's episode, part two, talking about forgiveness versus trust, how people can figure out their own individual recovery process instead of just relying on their partner's success, and also the difference between getting support and finding a real healing community. Michelle has some great ideas and some great insights into what it takes to recover from the impact of pornography and betrayal trauma. I hear so many times people say to me, I just want to feel normal again. And of course, my challenge to that is, so like what normal, like how things used to be right. like you, like, so what, like, what's it, what's normal even mean? And, and we talk about the new normal. We talk about, um, how, if they really look at their former life and how they live things and how unmanageable things were, uh, there's no part of that they would really want. It's just so scary and uncertain. And that surrender is, you know, there's a reason why that's early in those steps is because our way of doing things uh, complicates it. It's a, it's a very gentle and th- process. It, and this goes back to another facet of why getting out of isolation is so important. Right, right. Because my experience and observation is that hope, when you're dealing with this kind of chaos and pain, hope cannot be self-generated. Yeah, absolutely. You go to a community of healing to be surrounded by, immersed in healing so that you can have hope simply because you've seen it mm-hmm. happen in someone else's life. If it can work for them, maybe it can work for me. That, then, was what, that was what drove me to the rooms is, wait, I have similar pain, even though yep. my story is different. The beliefs that I have about God and myself are the same yeah. as what these addicts have struggled with. And if he can help them, then maybe he can help me find healing from these beliefs because the healing really is at that level We look at, I I like to think of a tree, we look at addiction, you know, what we see is the the leaves. Oh, you know, they're dealing with drugs or they're dealing with alcohol or they're dealing with pornography or they're dealing with an eating disorder or they're dealing with perfectionism. Some people wouldn't think that that's as destructive as drugs, but I've lived it. Oh, yeah. You know, my life was on the line because of what I was dealing with. I was in despair. And all of these branches are, are, are branches on the same tree. If you get to the roots, they almost always boil down to a handful of beliefs that I'm not enough, that it's all my fault, that God couldn't possibly love me anymore, that I'm not lovable by others, or that I can do this myself, or I should be able to do this myself. And if I can't, then there's something wrong with me. Yeah. yeah and being able to to get to those roots, and it's it's a very unifying thing. And so... If you can come into a healing community 
and it can be online, it can be by phone, it can be by video, it can be in, in person. There are, there are so many ways to reach out to healing communities anymore because of the technologies that we have. But if you surround yourself with people who have hope, this is different than just a support group where people just, I've seen the difference. There are groups that are just support groups. Like, I just don't want to feel alone and I just want to be able to have a place to complain about my life endlessly. <laughs> Right. You know, a, a, a healing group has a, a, a specific purpose to move people toward healing. And if there is healing in the room, even with one person, then you can start to feel what hope can feel like. Beautiful. And you can hold on to hope and because people have walked this before and have been able to come out. Like you said, the life that's ahead of them they can't even comprehend from their own experience. They have to rely on the experience of others. And, but what's, what's ahead of them is, is so beautiful. Right. It's like, it's it not says, that life stops being hard, right? but once you understand who God is, once you've had that shift and it does take time, they say three to five years, I can, I can still remember what I felt like at about five years. Mm-hmm. I could feel that my brain, my brain, not just my spiritual outlook, you know, my brain is part of my spiritual health and my brain was healing I could, in very tangible ways. It's, it's really exciting. You can tell that I've actually, when people come into the, to a room, a 12 step room, I, or, or into my forum, I have to restrain myself a little bit because I get really excited. <laughs> I get excited. I love people. Oh, how can you do this? How can yes. you be in this space? It's so hard. It's so depressing. Like, no, it's so wonderful. It's coming through the speakers, Michelle. Like, I just like your enthusiasm and your your joy, your joy <laughs> and your rejoicing is just it's so tangible, and I love it. And I, I'm so grateful that you know you have a voice and and have been able to find words to to share these things because. I know that people will hold on to them because it's such a confusing, chaotic process. And to have these, these concepts and these ideas and these examples to hold on to is, is a life support for so many people. So I, I want to go back to the forgiveness thing because we talked about forgiveness and about surrendering yourself and your partner to God and letting God be God and how that becomes the fruit of, of that process. And I, I love the way you describe that. We didn't get to finish that thought um, about trust. About trust. So, can we go back to that? I want to talk about the difference because I think those get confused. Um, where there's there's an emphasis on blurring the two together and saying, you know, just forgive quickly and trust and put everything back together, and that's so damaging to these these relationships, especially early on. Can you speak to that? Absolutely. And please jump in. Um, Let's have this be an iterative conversation. For sure, um, yeah. One of the ways that I like to think about it is that you've got two circles. You have this small kind of day-to-day cycle um, that can change. You know, you can have a good day. You can have a good hour. You can have a good moment. You can have a good week or two. And, and what I'll often see is that women will, again, with that anxiousness to get back to normal, Mm-hmm. And to have things resolved, whenever when they see something good happen, then they'll they'll tend to jump back in. Okay. And and so they think that oh good trust yeah okay good we're 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 fine. 
almost without exception, most women don't really come to, and I hope that we can change this through podcasts and through discussions and through other things so that the cycle need not take so long, Uh but to recognize that there is a bigger cycle that happens that, you know, men or or women who deal with addiction, white knuckling, which is that discipline, self-discipline, willpower control Management of the for, creature that Korobor described, right. right? Yes, right. That that boy, that phrase is chilling in this context, isn't it? <laughs> yep. Um, very sobering, I should say. Yeah. That, yes, that management of the creature can happen sometimes for two or three years. Oh, yeah. And so things can be okay. But, um, Don Hilton in his book talks about, I think this is a great example of missionaries who will Mm-hmm. get things under control enough to go on a mission. Yep. Many times they'll do fine or fine enough through those two years. 90 plus percent of them relapse. Yep. Why? Because they've been focused on self-control and on a shorter life cycle. Again, time. Um, if we look at the larger picture, um, uh, real Croshaw's story in her book, what what can I do about me? Really underscores this. Yes, it took forty years for her, and I'm not saying it needs to take that long. So I say I hope that as we talk about it, that awareness can start to be raised a bit about the difference between short term marriage management and a, a bigger picture view on a longer term process, but. You know, she she had her husband confess to her. I wish I wish I'd reviewed this. I, I hadn't thought to to talk about this. It's just sort of popped into my head. But she had several years where she didn't even know. And then her husband confessed, and they're like, "Okay, everything's fine." And they they had this cycle happen right. over years of time. Uh, I think there were four main cycles. Where you know, at first it was like, "Okay, everything's fine," and it just kind of went back down into the hidden corners of their lives and they never really talked about it. And the second time it was, okay, let's, let's work together on this and let's do everything to get right, it under control. Right. And then the third time it was, all right, uh, it, I'm like a pioneer and I'm going to put my husband in my hand car <laughs> and I'm going to carry him myself. And, you know, she did all the work and mm-hmm. I lined up the therapists and whatever. And that just exhausted her, just wore out. And so the last time that he confessed he was really ready. Yeah. He was really ready to change. And she fell on her knees in her front yard and put her hands up to heaven and just said, you take him. And it was from that point that they were able to really start to recover. But they had tried all of the self-management along the way. It showed up in different ways. And it was that, that arc of, of time. And, and I think it's that larger arc in that larger arc where trust has to be built. It can't be the short-term, you know, very often I'll hear stories of women saying, oh, my husband is just getting frustrated with me. He just wants me to trust him. Like, no, it doesn't happen like that. Trust is not demanded. It is earned and shown over time with a great deal of patience and commitment and a willingness to just kind of hold space for the mess in the meantime. And, and the only way for trust to be earned is over time. That's there right. is no other way. It has to be consistent patterns, not just of, oh, good, phew, I looked on the filter and he didn't use pornography Yeah, that's today, the definition you know? of trust is it, it, it involves a time element. You can't, that's right. 
you can't right. trust somebody quickly, period, in, in any context. And it isn't, and again, this, this gets to that difference between mm-hmm. sobriety and recovery. Right. It's not, okay, he hasn't used porn for three months. He's trustworthy. No, he's been sober. And sobriety is almost always the entry point for recovery. I've actually seen that flipped where when I talk about recovery, I talk about um, healing with God and, and understanding more of his character. Some, some people need that understanding first before they can really get sober. That's right. But yeah. a lot of times the, sober, the sobriety helps shake the brain clean enough that they can start to look at how they've been dealing with pain. Addiction is all about escaping life. It's about escaping pain. It's about, it's a, a, a dysfunctional coping mechanism. And recovery is about learning to cope with life by living it and facing it instead of running from it. So if you have a woman and, who is dealing with, um, who's getting pressure to forgive either from her husband or from somebody else on the outside, what what really the, what they're talking about is is what what they're observing is is a lack of trust and so in some ways what what we're talking about here is that she can embrace that and and almost put it back on them and say yep right you're right i don't trust him forgiveness is a personal process that i'm working on and it's a gift that god will give me when the time is there right that's the fruit that i'll get in my own process of changing my heart and my mind and kind of seeing my role and how i'm trying to do things with him and god and all of that that's a very personal journey the trust is is in is, relational. is relational right and it's yeah. and it's earned and it's not something she can create or generate it's not something that um, if anything, all she can do with the trust is being open to receive him again after there's been a uh, a consistent pattern of uh, consistent behavior that th- that is you know I guess like, we keep using the word but it's 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 safe it's trustworthy it's predictable it's secure it's protective it's well healthy. there are some mm-hmm. there are some good indicators there that. Um that the Croshaws and SA Lifeline have really helped articulate that yeah. I use often. It's humility. Mm-hmm. It's honesty and accountability. Those are, those are three of the most important. And so if you have a husband who is demanding mm-hmm. or controlling, demanding trust, being frustrated or impatient, that's not recovery. Right. Can you say those again, the three? Accountability, I don't know if I'll say them in the same order. That's fine. <laughs> Honesty, accountability, and humility. Right. And eventually, empathy will emerge from the recovery mm-hmm. process. And, and empathy can't be forced. Um, when, when real first, after the four cycles, when she went to her therapist, her therapist said, Can you, could you stay with your husband if he gets into recovery? First of all, I'm not saying that all women need to stay. So this is just her story. Mm-hmm. But... Um, real said, well, how am I going to know? You know, I've just lived 40 years of chaos. How, how can I possibly even know? She's, and the therapist said, you will know. That's right. And it is because it is so distinct and different and palpable. It's like Alma 32. You will know because it is real. It is discernible. It is light. And it is, it is persistent over time. There may be blips, and slips, you know, a relapse is like a full-blown back into the denial and lying and hiding and shaming and blame shifting and, and all of these types of things that often come with addict behavior. 
recovery is that humility and honesty and a willingness to give the wife time. Mm -hmm. Because often a wife's process, if they stay together, will lag behind the man. Like she can do her own recovery with God to a point, but if the relationship is going to heal, he has to do his work and then trust can start to be rebuilt. Well, after some time can be rebuilt. But those recovery behaviors, if he wants trust, he just has to keep focusing on his process. Stop focusing on her. Right. And it's Don't gonna... make demands of her. Right. You just keep living in AA, in Alcoholics Anonymous, they call this a living amends. Yep. You don't just say you're sorry once and then expect your, your loved one to be okay. No, you live in right. a way where trust will, in a sense, be a fruit. Your life is it, your it, apology. It, it, itself, yes, life is your apology. Right, your and, life is, and yeah. a consistent, mm -hmm. a consistent life in this new way of living of honesty and humility and accountability and empathy. That will invite trust, but trust can never be demanded right. by definition. That's a violation of trust. Right, and certainly so. not by an outsider or, you know, I mean, we all, we get that maybe a, a husband who's panicking about maybe losing his marriage or feeling like his wife is distant. We, we get why he would demand it, but when other people outside the system demand it, that is so harmful to a woman who needs to be able to feel, it, it almost jams the signal. It makes it harder for her to see oh, what's yeah, going on just, with her husband, and yeah. she needs, she needs the, the support to be able to say, you have permission to look for patterns. You have permission to pay attention to what he's doing and look for these key indicators and see them play out over time. And like it says in Doctrine and Covenants 123, I think 17, you know, he needs to be cheerfully doing all things that lie in his power to, uh, to, to demonstrate that he's living a new lifestyle with a, a soft heart, an honest heart. And, and the only way she can trust is if that holds steady over time. And That's like you right. said, there's room for mistakes, but those become the exception, and then they're repaired. That's right. Mm -hmm. it's, it's really, I, I sometimes say, put on your lab coat and glasses. Um, the danger of this is that I, I think it's really important for, for loved ones to understand that the focus needs to be primarily on their process, like their individual process of healing to not spend most of their energy watching where the other person is. Right. Because that will that will that will hijack the focus. Right. And and can often I say, you know, get off the roller coaster. Just get off. Especially his early coaster. on. I mean I think I think especially early on. I think the timing of this matters. Even along the way. Mm -hmm. Even along the way, you know, you can observe it, but put a lab coat and glasses on. You're just gathering data. It's it's a detached. I love that. Yeah. You know, where you're not, you're not, you're just, you're just observing. I say observe, but don't absorb because so often it's, oh, he's not doing it yet. And and it just, and, and they take it personally. And, and so that right. just keeps the pain, keeps the wound alive. Yes, at some level, trust is a personal thing, but his process is going to take the time it's going to right. take. And her process is going to take the time it's going to take. And if either one of them imposes demands that 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 impose control, right? It can it can it can disrupt the process because he, whether it be the the addict or the one suffering from compulsive behaviors who is working on recovery or the loved one working on the healing process, the core of it is to be able to trust one's relationship with God. Right. 
and and that inner compass. So like you said, if a bishop or a therapist, well, you just need to trust him and that's coming out. That is interrupting that process of trying to heal the inner compass, that connection with God where she can trust her instincts because so often if there's been lying or hiding or blame shifting, then then the, the, the blame has been put on the wife. Oh, you're just crazy. Right. Oh, well, you're just not forgiving enough. You're not righteous enough. You should be, you should be, you should be. And she needs to have boundaries to say, you know, there, there aren't any shoulds here from anyone except God gets to guide me and God doesn't should in that way. He guides in a gentle line upon line way. Any other voice that's trying to impose any kind of should from the outside except when someone chooses to let someone in in that trusted way as part of their process that they've chosen with God. You know, I've like in my process, I've chosen therapists to my trust. And so I will let their counsel be part of my process. They're invited in. When I, yeah, I call it my healing circle, you mm-hmm. know? So there are people that they can invite into their healing circle, but they get to choose. Right. And it, it's not by role. It's not forceful. My parents, I have to listen to my parents, or I have to listen to my bishop, or I have to listen to my therapist. They, in their process, both addict and and loved one, get, they have to learn how to choose what voices to listen to and what to sift out. And, and really claiming that, you know, addicts do need help from other people. But again, they, they ultimately have to choose it. Right. They have to choose a sponsor. They have to choose a therapist that they're willing to let in and listen to to get that second brain to help them see where they've been seeing things in a faulty way. But yeah, trust in time and, and consistency. It's, again, a very exciting thing to me because I do think that people jump in way too quickly Yeah, um, to that smaller cycle because they want things to work faster than they will. Well, in the feedback loop on that, you know, it's it early on. It's it can feel so rewarding to to have one or two key behaviors appear to change, and it's hopeful. And people want hope early on, and so it's it's you know it's very seductive to jump into a fake trust, if you will, premature trust. Well, that's trust. why the hope mm-hmm. the hope in that, especially early on, is 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 divested from the relationship. The hope is built on healing in in Christ, healing right. with God. It's not about the other person, right? especially early on. Hope is not, you don't go to a 12-step room and hear that, you know, step two is hope, and you don't hear that you have hope that your life will all be fixed really quickly or that your loved one will right. change. You right. know, th- these are not promises for outcomes of what's happening in your life. Exactly. The promise is a restoration of spiritual health, and that is a restoration of a relationship with God. Again, back to that definition of repentance. It's a turning back to him and a healing of that channel. And then once that channel is cleared, because fear, anxiety, trauma, insecurity, all of these things can can cloud that channel. So it's clearing out that channel, clearing out the fear, clearing out the, the, the self-pity, clearing out the pain. And not that any of these things, these are all normal, but these are the things that need to be cleared out so that they can know what to do. 
right. in their life, in their relationship, in, in decisions that they need to make. I think this is one reason why therapists will often say unless there is immediate harm, risk of immediate harm, to not make any major decisions for at least a year well, so that you can right. get some clearing of that channel under your belt before yeah, you you're can't trying even to see make yourself. major life decisions. Yeah. Right. You can't see yourself clearly. You can't see your partner clearly. And so how in the world could you make decisions about something so consequential? Well, and I, it reminds me of something Wendy Ulrich said in her book, The Temple Experience, where she talks about forgiveness. And she says, you know, forgiveness is really about recognizing that the person who's injured you does not have the power to restore what they took from you. Yeah. And so to turn to them and focus all your efforts on trying to get them to restore back what they've taken is a lost cause because they, they just don't have the power to restore that. God can restore that to you. And then God can also settle up with them about the impact that they've had on your life and other people's lives. And when you let, when you let God direct that process and repay and restore and all those things that he does so perfectly in his own timing and wisdom, then like you said, it'll then, then true forgiveness can happen. And, and then the trust process, as you so you know eloquently described is very much a, a human behavioral effort, a process of, of attitudes, behaviors, consistency, that is something that, a, you know, a wife needs to be able to watch, like you said, from a working distance and be able to, to, to see, notice, and it just should be a constant steady heartbeat in the background that's happening. Yeah. And as they work together, uh, just day to day living life, whether they've got children or not, or just interacting like you said, those things will eventually start to be felt and threaded back together to where it makes sense to to open up more and receive more and connect more. It becomes a very natural process mm-hmm. in a in a sense. Um, that I like to use the analogy of childbirth. Um, you can't force. <laughs> <laughs> in, in a natural childbirth process, you can't force the process. It right. unfolds in its own time and its own way. And when it's time, when it's time for that baby to be born, there's nothing you can do to stop it. <laughs> I mean, you know, and, and, and I, That's a great analogy. I, I, I like to encourage women to, to really hold space for that time that it takes. Because if you try, if you try to force it before things are ready, you're just going to get hurt. Yeah. Because... Because it's not dealing in truth. The Spirit teaches us things as they really are. And it's hard to look at things as they really are. I'm sorry, you're only dilated to a three. This was the way my process, my labor processes would go. I'd be in, in labor for weeks and, and thinking that I'd, okay, I go into the hospital. I'm ready. No, I'm sorry, you're only at a two and a half, you know. <laughs> and, and I'd be really frustrated. But, you know, eventually things happened and moved along. But... But just meeting things where they actually are and accepting them rather than trying to force them to be where you want them to be. People don't, it doesn't feel like forcing, but I don't know how to put this into words, but it's almost like forgiveness and trust find you. Hmm. Yep. Melody Beattie is a, a brilliant writer about the process of healing a loved one healing in a dysfunctional relationship. And I know there are debates about whether the concept of codependency applies to trauma or not. Um, I think the principles in what she writes are so powerful that I'm less worried about the words and just yeah, more about no, the principles. Like let's, 
let's not lose the good principles just because the label may not fit just right. right. Mm-hmm. Um, but she says in, in her book, The Language of Letting Go, if it's not, if you, if you don't know what to do, wait. Hmm. Sometimes waiting is the greatest act of faith that we can offer because the solutions and the answers can and do and will find us as we wait on the Lord and as we wait and let the process unfold. And it is, it's a beautiful thing when forgiveness can find you. It's a beautiful thing when trust, when you can start to feel that trust can start to be rebuilt because the change in the circumstance has found you instead of trying to, to force it to happen. And it's, it does take a lot, a lot longer than most people would want initially, but what they really want is this. What they really want is true relationship, not imposed relationship. Beautiful. So powerful. Well, and that requires some boundaries, you know, that yeah. women need to have on themselves. Like they'll often they'll often be tempted to jump back in quickly and to or to demand behaviors that maybe their husbands aren't ready for yet. It really can go both ways, right? A husband can demand trust and a woman can demand trustworthiness. She can she can say, I won't be able to engage with you unless and until I see these behaviors, you know, holding space for that and saying this is, I really just can't do relationship until I see this, but not, not pressure cookering, you know, mm-hmm. and, and not trying to, to, to say it has to happen on my terms and my timing to let his process unfold. And, and when there's space with both partners leaving space for each other, then there is more space. Like you said, even if it's, especially if it's imposed from the outside, but even from the inside, um, I think people come to realize when they're trying to control versus when they're trying to just speak their truth. Exactly. You know, what's the motivation behind it? And mm-hmm. I'm just a big fan of, of this concept of holding space because I, I believe that's what God does for us. And I think that's really what he means when he says, this is just my interpretation, that when he says the greater sin, you know, it really isn't a competition. It's just, look, if if forgiveness is allowed to flower in your life, then you will understand me as God better. Or as you understand me as God better, the fruit of forgiveness will flow from that. It's just interconnected. As we experience his love for us, we are better able to give it to others. Right. Wow, Michelle, this is great. This is really great. I really appreciate your gift and being able to articulate some of these concepts that I think are so elusive for people in this process. One, because it's chaotic and it's sudden and it's it's terrifying. But I think also there's, um, you know, there's just a lot of, I don't know if you want to call them false traditions or sort of cultural, sort of conventional wisdom type stuff that I think really gets in the way culturally that makes it difficult for people to know how to navigate this process. And and you're pulling from patterns and, and truths, scriptural and otherwise. I mean, just really noticing things that have worked and don't work. Um, again, you're in this really unique position in, in your, your administrative position with um, Hope and Healing LDS. And I think you do a great job summarizing some of these things. 
I want to have you back. I want to talk about more of these patterns. I want to talk about um, other things that you've become involved with uh, in terms of uh, helping with prevention and homes. I just think there's so much to cover here, and I, I just think that you have such a powerful and dynamic contribution to make here, and so um, I'd love to have you back soon. Well, I'd welcome the opportunity, and thank you so much for all that you do and for the opportunity to talk about this together. You can learn more about Michelle and the work she is doing at hopeandhealinglds.com. I do want to thank Michelle for her great insights and her willingness to be on the Illuminate podcast. In the next episode, I'm going to interview Jeff Ford, licensed marriage and family therapist, and we're going to talk about therapeutic disclosures. This is a big topic in the lives of people who are working through pornography, addiction, sexual addiction, betrayal, trauma, and trying to get the truth on the table. And that involves a disclosure of some kind. And Jeff and I are going to talk about the work that we've done in helping people go through a disclosure process and how to do that successfully and all the things that are involved with that. So stay tuned for the next episode of the Illuminate Podcast.